Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Congratulations on putting your clock forward. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, and it's lovely to have uh, visitors from St Albans with us this morning. You are very welcome, and we hope that you enjoy the service. Also lovely to have Lena back with us from the States. Uh, this service for the fourth Sunday in Lent will be led by our Minister Katrina, and everything we need to follow the service is both on our printed order of service and on the screen. Please stay and have a cup of tea. Thank you, Anne. Our call to worship this morning is um, from the letter to the church at Philippi, and it's one that is always quite special to me because it's the passage that Ruth used when I was preached in nearly 10 years ago. So some words from Philippians chapter 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Our opening hymn of praise this morning is a good oldie. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, and if you're able, you are invited to stand with us as we sing. come to God in prayer and as is our custom here after I've guided us in some prayers we will join together in the Lord's Prayer in the version and language which is the most normal and natural for each one of us so let's pray together loving and generous God 
On this, the fourth Sunday in Lent, we pause in our journey to seek a little bit of refreshment. At the end of another week, when events in the UK Parliament and in the wider world have been bemusing and bewildering. At the end of a month in which so much has happened that has drained our physical, emotional and intellectual reserves. At the start of a new day, a new week, a new month and an ongoing journey. In these moments, please bless us with a little bit of stillness and rest. In these moments, please assure us that your arms are beneath us and around us. In these moments, please help us to accept your gracious and generous offer of life in all its fullness. Loving and generous God, sometimes what we need is not more carefully formulated words, but rather space to breathe. Sometimes what we need is not new ideas, but rather the reassurance of old promises. Sometimes what we need is a simple saving assurance that you love us and accept us just as we are. Nurturing, protecting God, knowing ourselves to be loved and accepted by you, we join our voices in the pattern of prayer Jesus taught his followers as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever.
I wonder if anybody can tell me what the letters VIP stand for. VIP. Oh, Carl. Very important person. Th Sorry? Or people. Very good. Very important person or very important people. And I wonder who are the very important people? If I was to ask you in our country, who is a very important person? And whoever you think is, is a good answer. You don't, no, I'm not trying to trick anybody here. Bonnie, are you going to give me? You. Okay, so Bonnie is a very important person. Good one, Bonnie. Yep, Carl? Some people might say Theresa May. Some people might say Theresa May. I think she is very important, whatever we might think. Yeah. Ali is very important for you. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Any other people we think are very important in our country or in the world? In the world. Who's very important in the world? Peacemakers. Peacemakers. Thank you, Margaret. Celebrities are very important. Yeah. They certainly think they are anyway. Yeah. Doctors, thank you. The Queen. The Queen, yep, our Queen or other Queen, any Queens or Kings or Sultans or Monarchs, yep, okay. Teachers. Teachers, good, yep, very good, so teachers. Who's important in your family? Go on, Bonnie. Your uncle, very good, yeah, okay. Bonnie's uncle's very important, okay. Anybody else got anybody that's very important in their family? Who gets to decide which channel you watch on the television? Because Your little sister, so probably she's quite important then. Yeah. Who gets to decide what time you go to bed? The dog. <laughs> Bunny. I'm sorry, I can't hear you because they're all laughing too loud. You decide when you go. Oh, you must be very important then. I don't think Mummy's look says that that's quite right, but hey, there we go. Okay, and who's important in our church? Oh, thank you, Joan. I'll pay you later. <laughs> Joan said the minister. Who else is important in our church? Oh, you're so holy, Clifford. But you're absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah, everyone is important in our church. Who do you think the most important person is in this hotel? The manager, the receptionist. the receptionist. Yep, absolutely. These ladies are right. It's the cleaners. When I was growing up, my mum always used to say to us as children, the most important person anywhere you go is the person who cleans the toilet. Because if the toilets aren't clean, the place won't be open and you won't be able to go into it, or the place might be open and you won't want to go into it. So the most important people sometimes are those that the world doesn't think are really important. Clifford, you're absolutely bang on. Everybody is equally important in our church. Everybody is equally important in the whole world if we look at them through the eyes of God. But it's quite easy to wind up thinking important people are monarchs and politicians and celebrities and yes, even number one, ourselves. So thank you for sharing that. We're going to be thinking a bit more about some of these ideas um, with the, with the grown-ups. But for now, we're going to sing a version of a very well-known song. I actually realised after Paul sent it back to me, I'd churned hands into hand, but I'm sure you can put the S back on. So it is a version of the old favourite song, He's got the whole world in his hands, but we're going to recognise some of these different groups of people as we sing together. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. 
Bible readings this morning come from two of the Gospels, and we'll begin with the Gospel of Mark, reading from chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The second gospel reading is Matthew's gospel, chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, yeah, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Night, who penned the famous words, some are born great, some achieve a greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. And so this week, our focus is on the temptation of status, or perhaps the temptation of greatness. I look down on him because I am upper class. I look up to him because he is upper class. But I look down on him because he is lower class. <laughs> I'm middle class. I know my place. <laughs> I look up to them both. But I don't look up to him 
as much as I look up to him. Because he has got innate breeding. I have got innate breeding, but I have not got any money. So sometimes I look up to him. I still look up to him. Because although I have money, I am vulgar. But I'm not as vulgar as him. So I still look down on him. I know my place. I look up to them both. But while I'm poor, I'm industrious, honest and trustworthy. Had I the inclination, I could look down on them. But I don't. We all know our place, but what do we get out of it? I get a feeling of superiority over them. I get a feeling of inferiority from him. But a feeling of superiority over him. I get a pain in the back of my neck. Today, as we explore a little bit about the temptation of status or greatness, I have to confess I've found myself in a bit of a dilemma. That satirical sketch, which is actually nearly half a century old now, shows the complex interplay of class, power and perception. And it also raises questions about justice, ambition and hope. Surely it cannot be wrong for a working class character to aspire to the benefits he perceives to be enjoyed by the middle and upper classes. Surely it cannot be wrong for parents to wish that their children have the opportunities that they themselves were denied. Surely ambition, the desire to be the best version of who we are, is something to be admired and encouraged. I don't think I need to answer those questions, which are tied up with equally complicated ideas around justice and fairness. The issue here is not about reasonable hopes and aspirations. It isn't even about ambition. It's about motivation. What matters is less what we aspire to, but why we aspire to it. This week, I spend a couple of days in Manchester interviewing prospective ministers in training to see if Northern Baptist College was the place in which they could train and come under formation for service in Baptist churches. I arrived in Manchester on Wednesday evening and knowing that the UK Parliament was undertaking a, a whole range of indicative votes in relation to withdrawal from the European Union, for the first time ever, I switched on the BBC Parliament channel and watched the live debate. Possibly because I was already mulling over ideas for this week's service, I was especially struck by the contrast between the behaviour I witnessed in many, though not all, ministers of government and the behaviour of those seeking to exercise ministry in our Baptist churches. One of the candidates I interviewed was very honest when I asked them the question, why ordination? Speaking about recognition and authority. And this for them was especially important because they felt called to serve in the same church where they'd grown up. By becoming an accredited minister, that would confer a status not otherwise possible. For another... Accreditation was about being recognised within a chaplaincy setting, demonstrating that they were suitably qualified and experienced. Now, it's kind of easy for us as Baptists to say, well, actually, you know, that's not how we see ministry. We don't see ministry as authority over. We might see it as authority among, but we're not getting into that debate today. But, of course, these are very reasonable and normal human reactions, aren't they? This desire to have some status, some authority, some recognition. But with that also comes enormous responsibility. And so I sat in my room on Wednesday night and watched the House of Commons debate. 
I saw people who have the status of being elected to represent geographical communities, geographical constituencies even, throughout these islands. Now, I am sure that most, if not all, MPs enter politics with good intent. These are people who care deeply about society and how it is organised, and who want to use their gifts and skills to influence and enact policy. Trouble was, as I watched the debate, quite frankly, I could have been observing a primary school playground. People jeered. People insulted each other. They continually had to be called to order and even reprimanded by the speaker on many occasions. I have no doubt, whatever their political opinion, that all the MPs are physically, emotionally and intellectually exhausted. They have been working some crazy hours. They worked an extra day this Friday and so on. And with that kind of fatigue and exhaustion can come short-temperedness, intemperate remarks and ill-considered or unwise actions. Like the candidates I interviewed for Baptist ministry, the ministers of government are very human. And the responsibilities of those positions and the temptations of greatness or that come with greatness of standing out from the crowd are very, very real. There's another saying that is often quoted that comes from somebody called Lord Acton, who I knew nothing about until I looked him up this week, who said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Would have to say it seems he had a pretty poor opinion of people who held authority because he tended to think they were bad men, but we'll not go there. But I think this is where we begin to get to the temptations of status. With status comes authority and power, and with authority and power come the temptations of self-interest, control, and even changed morals. That's a temptation that was at the very heart of what Jesus experienced when he stood on the high place and looked down and saw the known world spread out before him. All this, he was told, you can have if you will just go the way of absolute corrupt power. Today, we've heard two stories about some of Jesus' closest followers and the way that they were lured into this temptation of greatness, the temptation of status. Imagine the scene. Jesus and the twelve are walking along the road. For some reason, Jesus has drawn a little way apart and a conversation begins among them about who's the greatest. I wonder how that conversation went. Maybe Peter was bragging. Well, you know, I'm the one that Jesus sees as his second command. I'm the one called the rock on whom my church will be built. I'm the one that will one day take over. Maybe the beloved disciple countered this. Well, but I'm the one that Jesus really loves the most. I'm the one that sits closest to him, that leans on him. Perhaps Levi got a bit angry at this point. Well, you know, actually, I'm the one that gave up the most. I, I was able to cream off all kinds of money for myself when I was collecting taxes, but I put all that behind me. That's surely a, a bigger sacrifice. And as for James and John, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, they were probably arguing amongst each other as to which of the brothers was the greater. Not an edifying conversation, I suspect back to that playground behaviour I mentioned earlier. And when they got where they were going, Jesus just said, what were you talking about? Now, I'm sure he knew far well what they were talking about. I suspect it was quite a loud conversation that he could hear it all. And they're embarrassed. They're ashamed to admit that they had been so preoccupied with their own importance. 
And Jesus said to them, look, if you want to be great, then just forget about this status. Be a nobody. And he looks around, and he sees a child. A child in their society was an absolute nobody. They had no power. They had no status. If they were Roman, they might not even have had a name if they were under the age of five. And he says, look, this is what you've got to be like if you're going to be in my kingdom. It seems to me that the antidote to the temptations of status or that come with status is humility. And the reward of humility is dignity. What do I mean by that? Jesus took this child and recognised the intrinsic value, the intrinsic worth of this child. And so he dignified the child's existence. The very one who has no status becomes the one you look to, even if you are powerful and have influence. Humility, and with it, the gift of dignity. The story we heard from Matthew's Gospel is certainly a strange one. And here we see a whole family caught up in the the temptation of status or greatness. We don't know whose idea it was. And it's very easy to blame the mother for initiating the events. But actually, a mother had pretty little status in those days, and she doesn't even have a name. But let's try and imagine the scene. One day, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, with their mother, who has no name, come to turn up to Jesus. And the mother, who knows she is unimportant, kneels at Jesus' feet and says, Can I ask you something? Now, it is true, and it is possible, that she is an ambitious, pushy parent. And that's the way that I was told this story as a child. But it's also possible that she is merely the mouthpiece for her husband and her sons. Her request is about status and power and importance. Let my two boys be the most important. And let one sit that side of you and one sit that side of you. If we look closely... We discover that Jesus doesn't speak to her, he doesn't answer her, he speaks to the sons. And basically he says to the boys, do you really know what this is that you're asking? Oh, yeah, they reply, absolutely. Having no idea whatsoever. And Jesus' response is, well, yeah, you, actually you will come to understand what this means. And, and the implications of following me will be to experience what I experience. <laughs> but I'm sorry. I don't have the authority to decide who sits next to me, on my right and on my left. Oh dear, that wasn't what they hoped for. And to make matters worse, the other ten have heard this conversation or they begin to hear about this conversation and they get angry. How dare these two think that they're better than anybody else? How dare they come and ask this? Jesus' response is interesting. He doesn't single out those two brothers for a reprimand, for trying to elevate themselves. He talks to all 12 and says, think about your attitudes. And in this story, the Gentiles act as a stereotype of what they shouldn't be. But he could equally have chosen his own nation and and the powerful people there. Leaders who oppress others. People for whom personal ambition is the motivator. People whose desire for greatness and power has corrupted their hearts so that they become totally self-serving. That's the kind of thing. So look around, look at that kind of people. That's what's the possibility that, that power and status can do this to you too. And You're not meant to be like that. What you need to do is to rep- recognise the intrinsic value of other people and serve their needs. 
Become as a little child. Become as a toilet cleaner. Become as a road sweeper. The temptation to seek power, greatness, fame, possessions, whatever it is, is very real. And for people like us, most of whom have opportunities for education, travel and well-played employment, there is a challenge of thinking, how do we celebrate these things which are good and allow us to become the best us we can be? How do we do that and at the same time value every human being as made in God's image and of equal intrinsic worth as us. How do we become humble or stay humble? And how do we give other people the dignity that God gives to us? This word dignity kept coming back to me over this week as I've mulled over these stories. And the wonderful thing about dignity is you can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't learn it. You can't aspire to it. It's all about what's on the inside. It's all about self-worth. It's all about knowing ourselves loved and cherished and valued. And in Christ, God gives us dignity. We are accepted we're forgiven if we've messed up, we're loved, and we are freed to enjoy life in all its fullness, freed to be the very best version of ourselves that we can be. And the very best version of each one of us will automatically want other people to have that same dignity. We will support each other, encourage each other, love each other. I think it's fair to say that the model of the current political climate in our nation shows us how the temptation of status can lead people who are not mad and not bad to pursue agendas that are dangerous for themselves or others. What we need and what they need too some hope, some love, and a bit of dignity. Normally, we would sing a hymn at this point, but we're not going to. I'm going to play for you a video of a song by Deacon Blue that, for me, expresses something of the transformative power of dignity. Some will be familiar with it, some won't. Basically, it tells the story of a road sweeper. And this road sweeper gets taunted by the local children. Nobody really takes much notice of him, but he has a secret. He's saving up to buy a dinghy that he is going to call Dignity. He has a dream, and one day he will achieve it. So we're just going to, I'm just going to play that, and we can listen to it, we can enjoy some familiar scenery. But as we do so, I wonder what it is that God has to say to each one of us about who we are, about how much we are cherished, and what the very best version of us might be like, as God gives each one of us dignity. Told me he left me to a secret 
about the money in his kitty. He's gonna buy a dinghy, gonna call her Dignity. And I'll sail on the west coast through villages and towns. I'll be on the holidays. They'll be doing the rounds. They'll ask me how I got it. I'll say, save my money. Say, isn't she pretty? That she calls dignity. And I'm telling this story in a faraway sea, sipping down Rocky. And reading me our keys, and I'm thinking about home and all that that means, and a place in the winter for dignity. And I'll sail up the west coast through villages and towns. I'll be on my holidays. They'll be doing the rounds. They'll ask me how I got a house. Say I saved my money. Say isn't she pretty? That she called bad mood for the last couple of weeks and it's, there's various reasons some of them are political some are probably that I spend a wee bit too much time in my car driving to the other side of the country but anyway I uh, was preparing for the intercessions this morning and I picked up an old favourite which is the We Worship Group sorry the We Worship book from the Wild Goose Resource Group and I was going to bring a prayer that I brought before to church which starts though this world depends on your grace it is governed and tended by mortals and I was sort of happy enough with that and then I was walking to church this morning and unexpectedly found myself praying which um, isn't, isn't although I do pray here it's not like me to walk along the road praying and today is also known as a refreshment Sunday it's one of the, the days in the fast of Lent it's the day within the fast of Lent where the, the fast is lifted and I felt quite refreshed on my way to church this morning and I wondered whether you would join me on my walk from my house in Partick to church and I'll tell you what I was praying for whenever I was walking. Let us pray. <clears throat> I left my home this morning and I walked out of my flat into glorious sunshine. We thank God for the coming of spring, bright flashes of hope and life in a world that seems to have been sleeping. 
I walked down to the end of the street and there were some Rangers fans sitting on the bollards outside the Roseville pub on Dumbarton Road. Uh, got further up the road and there were some Celtic fans going into another pub and suddenly realised that there must be an old firm match on today. God, we pray for all those guys going to the football, the sense of community that they have with other guys who are going to that match. But also we know that these matches can be flashpoints for, for violence and for, for other things within this city. And we pray for those who police these matches, the security guards, those who keep both sides safe. And we pray that Rangers fans, Celtic fans, those of us who are divided will be shown how we're actually more similar than we are different. Um, I then walked just under the, the railway bridge and past Station Flowers um, where there's lots of beautiful bouquets out for, for Mother's Day. We pray for mothers, but we also pray for those who find Mother's Day really difficult for lots of different reasons. I walked further up Dumbarton Road and there was a woman brushing up the cigarette ends outside the pub. We pray for those who keep our streets clean. We pray for those who serve us often in ways that we don't ever see. I then took a left turn up Gardner Street. We pray for those who sometimes are faced with hills that they don't feel that they're able to climb. I chose not to take the hill and instead I zigzagged up past Rehope Church. Lord, we remember our brothers and sisters who are also worshipping in other churches of the West End this morning. Some who look very similar to us and some who are very different. We pray for them and the work that they do. I then walked through Downhill Park, past the school and the nursery there. We pray for children, we pray for teachers. It's been a long term and some schools have already started their, their Easter holidays and some haven't and we pray for, for refreshment for those kids and teachers and then coming into the, the exam season after the Easter holidays. When I got up to Hindland Road, I saw quite an intimidating looking young man um, and he took his hood down and gave this elderly lady a bit of a wide berth and a, a smile. And I realised that I'd completely made an assumption about what this guy was like. And I was clearly wrong. God, we pray for those people that we make assumptions about, that we walk past and we think that they are dangerous or we walk past and we think that they are so different to us that we could never have anything in common. But we also pray that we would acknowledge whenever we look so different to other people that they think that they don't have anything to do with us. And we acknowledge that sometimes that's because we have privilege and we promise that we will sometimes take our hoods down and smile at old ladies as we pass them. Onto Byers Road, I encountered a man wearing shorts. I thank God for optimists. <laughs> I walked past the end of Creswell Street and I saw our building. We pray for those who are working to very soon submit the planning application and that that will be considered favourably. Outside Waitrose, I saw a family encouraging their toddler to hold hands with her baby brother in the pram. We thank God for families. Along Bars Road, I walk past loads of charity shops. And you will know it's our practice that we pray for God's work in the world through BMS. This week, we pray for the work that God is doing through BMS in Thailand. And today, particularly, we pray for the BMS-supported Partner Nightlight, Partner Nightlight, 
and that they will receive the help that they need from the government and police to help women who have been trafficked to Thailand. I came up the steps and into the hotel and into where we are worshipping now as a church community. In our church this morning, I pray for Ali and for Elham, for Benjamin and Bardia, for all of the light and life that they as a family bring to this church, the encouragement that they give so many people and for the ways in which they enrich the life of this church. Thank you for joining me on my walk to church this morning. I arrived at church feeling refreshed and I pray that you all have some refreshment today on this beautiful spring day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God who walks with us on our journey through life, who offers us refreshment and renewal, hope and love. We offer these simple gifts, asking that they may be employed in your service, bringing dignity and hope to others. Amen. And so our closing hymn, for the healing of the nations, Lord, we pray with one accord. <clears throat>
may the God of love, who cherishes each one of us, lead us from here to live with dignity and grace, compassion and hope, now and always. 